can be seated. Summer continues to kind of roll along. We, we've checked off June. We're already in July. In the middle of vacation season, a lot of people were able to get away this weekend. I love vacation. We just got back from vacation a week ago. Just time to get away, time to take a little break and, uh, and kind of re-energize and, and refresh uh, your, your body, your mind, your soul. My vacation's awesome. But there's a difference between getting away or, or taking a break and checking out because sometimes we want to check out, right? We just, we just want to be done, like we've had enough. And maybe it's experiences or people or relationships or pressure or stress or our job or any number of things kind of get us to that point where we just want to check out. We want to abandon our goals. We want to abandon the direction that we're heading in. Thing, things that we committed to, we want to take a step back from. Even spiritually, we're tempted to do that sometimes. Spiritually, we're tempted to check out. And it usually doesn't start as checking out. Usually, it starts as taking a break, right? Do you have friends who said, you know, we're just going to take a break from church, right? We're just going to take a break, and that was two years ago, five years ago. Sometimes we don't take a break. Sometimes we check out, and once you check out, it's really difficult to re-engage. And we don't mean to stay out. We don't mean to stay on the sidelines. It's just a week turns into a month, turns into a year, turns into two years, and on and on. And we're just kind of on the sidelines of what God has called us to do and to be in the direction that he's moving us. We're at a point in the book of Joshua where the action starts to speed up. When you, when you get to the middle of chapter 10... The action is no longer this one battle followed by this one battle. Um, instead, for, for much of the rest of Joshua, there's kind of a generalization about what's going on. As a matter of fact, halfway through chapter 10, uh, we read that the southern part of the country was conquered. And it's very brief. Joshua conquered this place and conquered that place. And there's no details and there's not really characters uh, then chapter 11, we're told that the northern part of the country was conquered. And again, it's really brief, bullet point, kind of really fast-paced. This part's conquered, and that part's conquered, and this part's conquered. And then in chapter 12, we have a list of kings that are conquered, just kind of one right after another, not a lot of detail. These are all the kings that got conquered. It happened. These got conquered. And then Chapter 13 begins by telling us, well, not all of the land was conquered. There were still some, a few problems. We're going to run into one of them today. But between chapters 13 and chapters 19, basically, it's one chapter after the next saying, this is how the land got divided up. This tribe got that land, and this tribe got that land. And if I could just be honest with you, it's not real interesting reading it's a lot of names and places that nobody can pronounce. And you don't really, unless you, unless you know Middle Eastern geography, it's kind of hard to picture where they're talking about and, and where that group actually went and where, where they settled. I'm not saying it's not important information. It's important information. It kind of grounds the Bible in history and time and space. But it's just not real interesting, if I can say that. 
But in chapter 14, there, there's kind of a moment that happens that I, I want to camp out on. And, and if you need, a, if you need a, a, a topic for 13 through 19, if I can just give you what the big picture is of all those uh, hard-to-pronounce names and places, the big picture is God did what He said He would do. God had promised His people, you're going you're gonna to settle in this land. And chapters 13 through 19, big picture, if you need one line to cover all of it, it's just this idea. God did what He said He would do. God said He'd give that tribe that land, and He did it. God said He'd give that tribe that land, and He did it. And God said you'd live there, and they did. God did what He said He would do. And that's not just true for Joshua 13 through 19. That's, that's true all the time. God does what He says He'll do. I mean, it's one of the main reasons to read the Bible is because what God said he would do in the Bible, he's going to do. He's going to be faithful to that. We never have to get up one morning and wonder, well, is God going to do what he said he would do? God always does what he says he'll do. As a matter of fact, in 2 Timothy, Paul's writing to Timothy and he says, look, even when you're unfaithful, God can't be unfaithful. God's still faithful to his word. God's still faithful to himself. God's still faithful to his character. God's still faithful to what he said he would do. And in chapter 14, we meet a guy who actually believes this. We meet a guy who at 85 years of age still believes God will do what he said he would do. And even though this guy's been through all sorts of circumstances and experiences, actually circumstances and experiences that would have caused a lot of us to check out, this, still, this guy still believed God. And, and, and here's the most important part. He not only believed God, he wanted to be in the middle of what God was doing. Regardless of his age, regardless of his life experiences, this guy wanted to be in the middle of what God was accomplishing. Joshua chapter 14, beginning in verse 6. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now, just so we all have the same historical background at this moment, here's what happened 45 years earlier from this conversation. Moses brings the nation of Israel up to the Jordan River, and he sends in 12 spies, and Caleb, this guy who's speaking, and Joshua, the guy he's talking to, were a part of those 12 spies. They were two of the 10. So they go in and spy the land, and when they come back, these two, Joshua and Caleb, give a favorable response. They say, God said we could have the land, so let's go do it. I mean, it's not really a question of what we saw or who's in there or how hard it's going to be. God said that we could have it, so let's go get it. But the other ten were afraid. And they brought back a message of fear, a message of negativity. And fear won, as fear often does. Fear wins out among the people of God in this moment. 
So they wander in the desert for a total of 40 years. Then they've been doing battle, if you've been in the series. They crossed the Jordan River and started occupying the Promised Land seven years before this conversation. So they've been fighting for seven years Now, 45 years have passed since the conversation that Joshua is referencing. And so Joshua, uh, Caleb wants to jog Joshua's mind. He says, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea about you and me? And really, I think what Caleb is saying is, Joshua, we were the only two there, buddy. It was me and you. You know what Moses said, and I know what Moses said, and everybody else is gone. Everybody else that was there that day, all the other spies have died. As a matter of fact, the whole generation has died except you and me. And I want to make sure you remember this conversation because we were both standing there, and, Josh, and, and Moses said, I could have this particular land. And, and really, it wasn't about getting the land. I mean, if I were Caleb, I'd want to bring that up too. I'd want to say, hey, as you're dividing things out, don't forget what I get. I'm supposed to get this. This wasn't about Caleb getting something. This was about Caleb being a part of the fulfillment of God's promise to him. Wanting to be in the middle. Now, here's some things about Caleb. Some characteristics that I think are, are vital to who he was as a man. The first one is simply this. Caleb was committed. He was committed. Three times in chapter 14, we're told that Caleb followed the Lord wholeheartedly with everything he had. Like he was all in. Caleb was fully committed. And then if you go back to the original conversation in Deuteronomy chapter 1, You read, no one from this evil generation shall see the good land I swore to give your ancestors, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh. He will see it, and I will give him and his descendants the land he set his foot on, because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. This word becomes synonymous with Caleb. This is the kind of guy he was. He followed God with everything that was in him, fully committed, All in. God, if you say it, I'm doing it. Caleb wasn't the kind of guy that sort of was picking and choosing which parts of God he wanted to obey, which part of God's word he liked, and which part of God's word he didn't like. Caleb was the kind of guy that said, if if God says it, I'm going to obey it. If God says do it, I'm going to do it. And, and, And Caleb had experienced times, I'm sure, of great frustration. Great disappointment. Imagine being in his position where you have suffered for 40 years because of the decisions that somebody else made. They weren't your decisions. It wasn't the report that you brought back that caused this 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. You've suffered for 40 years because of what other people did. And yet at the end of that, the Bible describes Caleb as somebody who served the Lord wholeheartedly. In spite of his disappointments, in spite of his wounds, in spite of his circumstances, and I don't know about you, I want to be that person. I want to be somebody that others can look at and say, he's all in. And when it comes to his spiritual life, he serves God wholeheartedly. Caleb was committed, but Caleb was also hopeful. He was hopeful. And 
I think it's more than just being an optimist versus being a pessimist or a glass half empty person versus a glass half full, right? We, we, we probably, if you're a glass half full, you're married to a glass half empty person, right? That's the trick that God plays on us when we get married, right? Are your best friend, like you're all this optimist and your best friend's a, a realist. They wouldn't call themselves a pessimist, right? Because pessimists think of themselves as realists, not as pessimists. But I think it was more than he just kind of had a rosy look on life. It wasn't that he kind of lived in fantasy world. Caleb was hopeful because he so believed in God. He so believed that God kept his promises and that God was true to his character and that God's ultimate good was my ultimate good and God would get his ultimate good into my life. Even though my circumstances didn't always say that to me, Caleb believed in God and therefore he was hopeful. As a matter of fact, he says to Joshua, I brought back a report according to my convictions. And I think what he's saying is, I just believed God. Like, I couldn't not believe God. I couldn't stop believing God. When I came back, I knew there were obstacles. I knew it was going to be tough. I knew it was going to be hard. But deep down in my heart, I couldn't escape this belief that God would do what He said. Versus my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. Have you noticed it's easier to make people fearful than to make them hopeful. I mean, you just get a crowd of people together. It takes a lot less work to make them afraid than it does to make them hopeful. You watch any of the election process? You listen to any politician of any party or not party? Watch the news. Cable news, talk radio makes their money on fear. It is easier to make people fearful than to make them hopeful. And here's the other problem we have. There are more voices of fear in the world than there are voices of hope. There just are. We can talk about why that is. I don't know why that is, but I think it's true. There's more voices of fear and negativity and cynicism than there are voices of hope. In Joshua and Caleb's day, it was 10 to 2. 17% hopeful, 83% fearful. And I'm thinking the percentages haven't changed a whole lot in our day. There are just more voices of fear than there are voices of hope. This would be an interesting exercise. Over the next week, just kind of monitor what comes out of your mouth and ask yourself, would this fall in the hopeful or the or the other category? Would this fall in the hopeful, I believe, I trust, God is good, God is faithful, or would this fall in the fearful, cynical, negative bucket? If you are, if you are a hopeful person, we need you to speak up. We need to hear your voice. I know you get shouted down by the fearful I know you, just like Caleb and Joshua got shouted down by the 83%, if you are a person who is hopeful, we need you to speak up. We need your voice. We might think that, yeah, Caleb was hopeful at 40, 
But then by the time he got to be 85, he was cynical and jaded. I mean, after all, he'd wandered in the wilderness for 40 years due to something that someone else did. It, w- it, would, it would be understandable, it would be human nature, if by 85 he had become cynical and jaded. We, we sort of generalize about people in that way, right? Like the older we get, the more jaded we become. The older we get, the more cynical we become. doesn't happen to Caleb. At 40, he's hopeful. At 85, he's hopeful, no matter what happened in between those two periods. And I'm sure he had his struggles. I'm sure there were times that he thought this isn't fair or this isn't right. But at 85, Caleb still has the same hopeful voice he had at 40. Not only that, Caleb was ready. Caleb was ready to go. In the passages that we're reading, multiple times, Caleb starts his comment with, now. And now we need to do this. And now we need, in other words, we need to stop waiting around to do what God told us to do. I I don't want to waste any more of my life just hanging around. Now is the time to move. Caleb was a now guy. He comes back at 40 with his report and says, yeah, let's go now. At 85, he says, uh, Joshua, let's go now. Let's do what God said now. Let's be committed now. Let's follow God now. Let's do it now. We need some now people in our lives, in the world. Some people who have that sense of urgency about following God and doing what's right. A sense of urgency about their spiritual life. Now. Let's do it now. He was not only ready, but Caleb was determined. He had a determination about him that that was uncommon. Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to read this next passage. I don't know if you read the Bible ever with your imagination engaged, like trying to picture what's happening. That's what I want you to do as I read this next section. I want you to picture this happening. I want you to picture what this would have looked like. Verse 10, now then... Caleb speaking, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. So here's 85-year-old Caleb saying, bring it on. Let me at them. Don't hold me back. And maybe Caleb was exaggerating. I mean, for all I know, he's standing there with a walker, right? I, I don't know what he looks like. Give me that lens, Right? I don't have any teeth, but I'll get them. But that's not what he sounds like. I mean, in my mind, that's not what this picture sounds like. Caleb sounds like, I'm ready to go. I was ready at 40. I'm, 80. I'm ready to go at 85. I was ready at 70. I'll be ready at 90 if I make it there. I'm ready to go. I want to go get what God said we could have. Let's go do it. See, God had promised something to this guy. And it didn't matter that he was 85. 
It, it didn't matter his age. Moses said to him back in Deuteronomy, you can have whatever land your feet walked on. Now, just so you understand, the feet he walked on, uh, the feet, the, <laughs> the land he walked on was some of the most difficult land to take. Caleb walks on the hill country when he goes in at 40. So apparently at 40, Caleb's looking around the land. And he's thinking, which, which is going to be the hardest one? That one. That's where I'm going. Because hill country is hard to fight. Your enemy knows the hill country better than you do. Not only that. He says, the Anakites are there. The Anakites were giants. right? Not, not like fee-fi-fo-fum giant. It, it, they were like really big humans. They were like really big people they were warriors. Matter of fact, the ten prophets that had a negative response, they said, we don't want to fight them. And at 40 and at 85, Caleb says, yeah, I want them. I want them. You want some of this? Come on. Come on. I'm re- I want you. At 85, he's ready to go. I want to do what God said I could do, and I'm not afraid not afraid. I mean, Caleb is basically the biblical Rambo, right? I mean, if they're making movies about Caleb, they're up to like 47 now, right? Caleb 47, Caleb returns, right? It's just, on. doesn't matter how old I am, I'm ready to go. I'm not afraid. And imagine what God might do with somebody who said 40, 85, 15, 21, I'm ready. I want to go. I want to be in the middle of the battle. And don't just give me any battle. Give me the hard one. I mean, we might think that at 85, Caleb would have said, look, I told you guys what to do last time, and y'all didn't listen. So go fight and give me a nice place by the river, right? I'll put a dock. I'll do some fishing. I'll retire down there. That's not what he says. At 85, he says... I want the hard part. There was, there was no sense of entitlement to Caleb. Like he didn't feel like, I've been around here long enough. I deserve. It's one of the nice things about being a church that's only a year old. It's like nobody can say, I've been here for 30 years. No, we haven't been here for 30 years. There's no sense of you owe me If you had just listened to me, right? He he never turns to them and says, well, if you'd have done it my way, we had already be done with this fighting. We wouldn't be in this situation. None of that. He looks at Joshua and says, give me the the hard one. At 85, I still want to fight the hard one. What might God do if you raised up enough people? Whatever your age is, however long you've been doing whatever, who would just say, give me the hard one. I want to take land for the kingdom. I want to take ground for the kingdom. I want to advance for the kingdom. Give me the hardest thing you've got. And let me be at it. And let's be honest. It's not just age that causes us to shrink back. It's not just reaching a certain point chronologically that causes us to start thinking, I'm not going to get involved. Sometimes it's our past, right? 
Sometimes we have mistakes in our past, things that we, we know, I messed up, I made the wrong decision, and somehow makes us feel like, well, I'm not worthy to kind of be in that. I'm not really worthy to be a part of that. The hill that Caleb wanted to take was out in front of him, and so's the hill that God wants you to take. And whatever's in the past, whatever the circumstances are, whatever the mistakes are, confess those, whatever, receive God's grace, and then go to battle. Sometimes we, we don't feel like God would use us in that way. All God's looking for is somebody like Caleb that'll say, let me out. Let me have the hard places. Let me go there. Any number of things causes us to shrink back, causes us to check out. And here's this great example of a guy who early in his life and late in his life had the same commitment, had the same heart, had the same convictions. And it wasn't because Caleb thought he was that great. It wasn't because Caleb thought he was that powerful. As a matter of fact, in verse 12, he says, The Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. He's like us. Caleb's looking at it and saying, Well, I mean, I can't do that, but I know who's behind me. I I can't win that battle, but but I know if God shows up, I can't lose that battle. Caleb didn't think he was that great either, but he knew his God was great. And so I'm asking you, what's holding you back? What's keeping you from engaging fully in the spiritual life that God has called you to? Stepping up. Taking on big tasks for the kingdom of God and saying, God, I can't, but if you help me, I'm going to be obedient to you. Last thing I'll mention. Then we'll eat hamburgers and hot dogs. Can you imagine how people talked about Caleb in the camp? Like when he walked through camp, parents leaned over to their kids and went, there's Rambo. That's wild man right there. That's crazy. Loves God. He'll fight, fight the hardest battles. I'm half his age. He's doing more for God than I've done. Imagine how people looked at Caleb. This wholehearted devotion. I'm not talking about making celebrities and idols out of people. I just mean, here's a guy who served God wholeheartedly his whole adult life. Fully committed And at 85, he's willing to say, I'm still in the game. I'm still in the battle. I still want to be a part of what God's doing. Let me just say briefly, we need people like that. Again, not idols. Nobody's perfect. Not create celebrities and put them on pedestals. I don't mean that. But especially if you're raising kids or you're a young adult or you're newly married... You want to be able to point at certain people and say, watch them. They're not perfect, but watch them. They serve God wholeheartedly. Watch how they live. Watch how they interact with people. Watch how they relate to their family. We we need Caleb's walking among us. He was a man just like we're human beings. He wasn't some super spiritual guy. He was just a human who wholeheartedly committed his life to the Lord. And I'm thinking every time he walked by, people said, hey, be like him. Be like him. 
We need people like that in the kingdom today. Let's pray. God, we often, in our humanity, we come up with excuses for why we're not engaged spiritually. We come up with excuses for why we're not fully, wholeheartedly living for you. Thank you for this picture of Caleb, a man, his whole life, even as he drew near to the end of his life, is described as someone who served you wholeheartedly. And whether we're 15 or 30 or 50 or 65 or 85 or 90 plus, help us to be people who are all in spiritually. Help us not to hang around the fringes. Help us to step in and say, give me the hard part. Let me be in the battle. Let me be in the middle of kingdom work right now. For however long I have left, however many more years I have, I want to be in the middle of what God is doing, claiming his promises, walking by faith, winning victory. Give us the courage to do that. Whatever we need to let go of from our past, however we need to be forgiven, or however we need to forgive ourselves, let it happen today so that we can do all that you've called us to do. For your kingdom's sake and your your kingdom's glory. And God, raise up men and women and teenagers that we can look to just say, man, they're they're following God. They're wholeheartedly devoted to the things of God. We need those people walking among us, speaking words of hope over fear, that the kingdom of God would advance. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.